engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for a limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Cutting the Distance. Now, over the last eight or so episodes, at the end, I've been saying, if you got questions, if this happened, reach out. Send me social media messages. Send me uh, emails at remy at com. all this stuff. So now we're going to do something a little bit different on this one. I feel like it's a good point to maybe answer a few questions that we've got from past episodes and kind of just just reply. Do some a little free form and maybe you'll glean some more tips off of stuff that I've already talked about or new stuff. So Ben here has prepared a few Q&As for me just out of things that he's seen, maybe cut some down to some questions that yeah. I will be answering. I am, I don't know the questions yet, so... Maybe some surprises. I don't know. Maybe it's these all are just secret questions. Secret right? questions. I haven't given you. I've been I've been manning Remy at the uh, mediator dot com for this entire time, and sitting in in the studio while Remy narrates his stories and gives the tips. So like, I'm not if I'm the man behind the scenes. I'm definitely a man that is also behind the scenes. Behind it, I'm way behind. So I've been reading a lot of your your stuff at Remy at the mediator dot com, and I've been following along on social. And enjoying this podcast, I mean, we certainly want to make sure we give you the best product you possibly can get. And so we're going to get, these are all pretty pretty useful and pretty serious questions. And so you ready? Remy, Warren, yes, are you ready? But, well, first I want to thank everybody. Sure. I like to throw out the gratitudes and platitudes. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> but um, no, actually, a lot of it, I love... Uh, People have been like sharing and tagging me in it as well. That's awesome. Like I think that 
this continues because of the people listening and their excitement about it, as well as just sharing it with their friends. So thank you guys for doing that. I really appreciate it. And thank you for interacting and, and the questions and stuff because it gives me better direction going into the future of like what what I should be talking about. Some stuff, man, I'm like, yeah, I didn't know I should be talking about that. So <laughs> yeah. it's good. Like there's yeah. a lot of things that I'm like, man, I don't – some of the – I think, oh, man, that, that's kind of boring. But really it's stuff that I just maybe take for granted, like the things that I know that I just kind of take for granted. So – that's where a lot of the the comments and stuff come in. Yeah, I mean, super it's, handy. And everybody, you know, sharing your experiences, sending pictures in, all the things yeah. that you guys done. It's some great successes. Yeah, and and those some, are the best triumphs. The funny part is that some of these emails are long. You guys are you guys aren't <laughs> skipping on the details, and we appreciate that because it's we're hunters, man. We like to Remy. I know likes to listen to and read stories. I do too. So for uh, sure. And so the, the idea of this podcast is just to draw out. All the stuff Remy's gone through in his life, and and he spends you know three hundred days a year field sometimes some years, and um, there's no better person to kind of translate all this. So I've been very happy with all of your emails and all your questions, man. It's been fun to ride along with Remy and and see the reaction, man. It's just, it's a it's a hell of a thing. So you want to get started there, Remy? Yeah, let's do this. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, here we go. So episode. Number three, you talked about hot weather meat care. Yep. And that's a hot topic. You know, I'm a former Yeti man myself as far as employment goes and a current Yeti man as far as my cooler use goes. And this question came from Jason in Arizona. He lives in a hot state, pretty close to your home state of, of yeah. Nevada. And he was asking, he wrote in you know a long email, but essentially boiling down to asking, when you're transporting meat, do you, if you're putting it in a cooler, would you allow it to be saturated in water? And is there any point during your, the meat process from field to butcher to whatever that you would, would feel is appropriate to leave, say, an elk quarter or a mule deer quarter or any, any good cut of meat soaking in water for any amount of time at all? And okay. He's, he yeah. specifically asks about leaving, you know, coming back throwing a quarter in your cooler and driving home and having all the ice melt, and now you've got, you know, a pretty fresh chunk of meat. For sure. That's submerged. Yeah, so here's the, here's the thing about that. Like I was saying before, is, you know, you want, your, you want to keep meat cool and dry. Now, elk, core, elk are a special breed because a lot of times, they're, they're just the size makes it cumbersome. Now, I think... If it's you, you want to avoid it being in water. However, that's not always possible. You know, like you got to relive in the real world. If you can keep it out of the water, great. But I just knowing from experience, traveling home or whatever, a lot of times that quarter does get soaked. Is it going to go off between you driving home and sitting in the cooler water? No, it's not. But one thing that I do when I get home is the first thing I do, I, I and I've done this like with ladders in the garage like i create some form to hang it somewhere when i get home mm. i've done this in the garage with like a closet dowel between two ladders <laughs> because i just didn't have a good setup for it and then what i do is i take a fan because the best way to cool it down and keep it dry is to is to dry it out now if you live in arizona it's even hot 
pretty much all the time. Yeah. So the garage is shaded. Somewhere is cool. If you don't have AC in your garage, run a fan on it. Get that air circulation and you'll develop that crust again. And then it's time to put back in the fridge or whatever. Now, I recently had a buddy have the same problem. He's like, man, I got back. Everything was waterlogged. I don't – I got to go back to work on Monday. Dude, what do I do with this freaking elk until I can – I'm butchering it all week. But I don't – it's not going to be one day I've got other things I got to do. Like I got to do pieces at a time. How do I store it? What do I do? So I think there's a couple things you can do. First, the refrigerator is a great place to store it as much as you can. And when you store it in the fridge, if you just put it all in one tub – like that's not getting – that's not keeping it dry either. The blood and everything soaks to the bottom. So you need to figure out a way to separate everything out or continually move it in the fridge until you get those pieces. Yeah, and you would fl- – a lot of times if, you're, if, you, if your fridge has like a glass shelf or something that won't allow air circulation, just you could flip that quarter over every yep. once in a while to make sure that there's always air circulation. Get that it's, air circ going. Got to have it. But – you know, I mean, like, how long can you leave something in the fridge? Well, it depends on the state. Like, if it's in the fridge with air circulating around it completely, you could leave it in for a month almost, mm-hmm. um, 20 days. I don't really like aged meat personally, like dry aged that much. But I've left stuff in my chiller for, you know, a week or two, and it's great. Yeah. It's fine. You've probably done like, Oh, man, I, yeah. I age all the time. I've aged – I've aged up to in the 40 – high 40s of days, and it's it's – you just it's a science that you have to really take time on. So we were talking about when we were recording that podcast, I remember talking about we were sitting in trying to just determine how you're gonna go through the thirty minutes of the show and we're just talking about a lot of times a guy, like you said, is gonna shoot an elk on a Saturday or a Sunday, spend all his time getting it home, and then Monday comes it's time to go to work. Yep. And you don't have you know, say you don't have an area that you can hang it, say it's too hot to hang it outside and your fridge isn't big enough for 100 plus pounds of meat to be stuffed in it. You know? Here's another option. You could you, you get the water out of the cooler. And then I've uh, – I learned this trick from some friends in, in New Zealand is you get a big animal. Well, cut off – you know, you don't have a lot of time to butcher it the way you want. So you you t- for that downtime in between the butchering, cut off large chunks in in big muscle groups mm-hmm. and get large vacuum seal bags and vacuum seal those pre butcher because then when when there's no air going to them they won't go bad in the fridge and so you don't have to worry about the air circulation so you can pack it into the fridge that way and then take those packets out and butcher it you could also repack the cooler full of ice put those vacuum sealed things in the cooler on top of the ice mm-hmm. to keep them cold. But by stopping the air, you're going to stop them from going off, like from spoiling. So just by vacuum sealing them, you can leave them. I've, I've got friends that it, when they shoot something, they just vacuum seal it and leave it in their fridge for two or three weeks yeah. because it won't spoil if they can't get air. Now it has to be a tight vacuum seal. So you really got to make sure, you know, nothing's around the edges of that bag and you get those bigger bags and you can put those big chunks and it's just an easier way to organize it until you have time to butcher it. Then as you come home, you might have one quarter that is free, free drying in the fridge and then the other stuff stacked in the cooler. You can kind of work your space and then as you butcher, you're gating more space and you can rotate things through. Yeah. That's the way that I do it. Yeah. I'm They're, sure you would agree that like you have to have that process though. 
But I wouldn't just leave it in my garage soaking in cooler water for five days. Yeah, that's not cool. When you're when you're out hunting on a weekend, even if you're if, even if that's kind of your game, if you're just a weekend guy, I just feel like I'm sure you agree that you got to have a process. I kill a bull, no matter when it is. This is how I'm going to make sure that the meat doesn't get ruined from from field to truck to cooler to freezer to butcher paper. I mean, you have yep. to have this thought out, and you can't run into a situation where. Oh, I got to go to work, and I have no idea what to do with this meat. I've got it all the way here now. You know, right? In those in those instances, maybe it's I like to do my own butchering, but dude, maybe you just got to you got to bite the bullet, drop it off somewhere that can handle it, and have that place down before you do it. That's just it sucks when you're like I I want to butcher it myself, but if that's your situation, you can't you don't have the ability to take care of it. There are places that have it. So that you got to keep that as a backup plan too. That's an option. Mm-hmm. But really there's there's workarounds. However, back to the original question, soaking in water, don't do that. Don't, don't leave do it. it soaking in water. Don't do it. Okay, don't. next one, Adam C., he's from Virginia. He was talking about, in, our, in your first episode, you were talking about shooting at angles, horizontal distance versus linear distance. He was just telling a story of trying to, to understand sight picture and and shooting at angles, and the question that he leveled in here that I thought was good was just basically at the at the end. He says, "My bubble level, I feel like my bubble level is a distraction. I'm trying to get my pin in the right spot, make sure I've got good footing, and do everything right. Why the hell does my bubble level matter, and what does it mean when shooting at angles?" Okay, that's a good question. That is a good question. That's that's a there's a lot of technical answer involved in the, that simple question. But I will give a abbreviated version of it. So, first answer, why the level? Do the levels really important? Because if you think about it, you got let's say we'll just go with a multi-pin sight, not even a slider sight. Just multi-pin sight, you got your first pin at 20 and your last pin at 50, let's say. Okay? So you draw back and your bow is not level to the ground. Well, what the level is, is it's making sure that all the pins are in line with the horizontal plane of the ground. So therefore, your left and right of the of your point of aim is the same. So if your bubble is cocked way to the left, say, that means that the top limb would be angling far right. Now, think about your bottom pin, your 50-yard pin, not that you're even shooting 50 yards, but where is that putting that 50-yard pin? Well, that's putting that, that the pins further down, further left than where it should be. Now, if you're shooting just really close, it makes a smaller difference, but as you even move out 5, 10 yards, you're really pushing your point of aim in, in a direction left or right if your bow isn't level. Now, when you talk about, you know, shooting at angles and using your level, it's even more important. But one thing you have to factor is what we call the third axis. So that's as you move your bow down, is your level still level? And then you can – the second axis you would do to level your bow, make sure you can put your bow in a vise or use it up against a door jam, something that's plumb, like a plumb line running – say, uh, a weighted string down so you know that something's level. Then you draw back at full draw. Do this outside somewhere safe. Don't dry fire it. You can do it with an arrow, but make sure 
obviously use common sense, be safe. Yeah. Now, are all your pins lined up on that plumb line when you're flat and then your bubble should be level? Then you know that your bubble is level for level ground. If it's not, there almost every bow now has a way to adjust that. So you adjust the level itself that way. Then so that would be, I guess, the second axis. Then the third axis would be canting it out. So as you go down at a 45 up or down, yep. does that level stay level? Is it true? And so I, d- I like to use a plumb line to f- figure that out. I also, and at full draw, you want to do it at full draw because it, it changes your grip and everything changes. So that does make a difference. I found this vice device. I think it's like, it's like a vice that PSE makes. I don't even know the name of it, but you can find it that you can clamp it on. You level, it's got levels on it. Then you level yours and then you can drop that vice to 45 degrees. Yeah. That's a good place to start. The other axis you would actually, you push the housing away or towards you to adjust. Well, and, float, and if uh, you're, if you really want a quick there. way to learn this too, you, and you're, next time you're at your pro shop and they're setting your bow up, just ask them because they're, um, yeah. if they're doing it right, they're checking your third axis. Ask them, how do you do that? Yeah. And just watch them do it. They'll, they likely will have a tool. If they don't see how yeah. they freehand it. And, yeah. And uh, then there's, um, there's another good device for full draw third axis is a uh, ham ski makes it. That's mm. a good one set up. But long story short, heck yeah, that bubble makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and that's you got it like when you're checking your sight picture that's just got to be again part of your process you got to be like process, check yeah. this check this check this and arrow f- let the arrow fly yeah. you can't skip that bubble level or like you said at distances it's tough well and if you just think oh it feels level on angle it it always feels level what's not level so it makes a big difference yep this episode is brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. I use the O'Reilly by me. It's right in downtown where I live. And the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced? Brake light fixed? Quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop to get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. 
Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. This is one that you and I were both thinking when we were recording episode number two, which is the bear attack on a fog neck and being safer in bear country. We were both thinking of this, and when we were talking about um, putting the episode together, whether it should be multiple bear attacks or multiple bear encounters that you've had that kind of inform the tips, but we turned it just we felt it was smoother just to have just the fog neck attack. But you have a lot of other bear encounters you know that are informative and this question came in a bunch um it came i probably i probably read 20 of them i bet uh, in regards to black bear country as we'll call it which is most of the united states but in in country where you're hunting or you're around black bears do you take the same precautions as you do in grizz or brown bear country and you know how do you how do you how does your mind think about that that scenario yeah so I, I generally don't take the same precautions, but I take precautions because statistically, I think there's more black bear attacks than there are brown bear attacks. I'm sure. And it's just based on you encounter them more. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are more places and they're close. They do things close to people. One day, my brother was on a fall bear hunt, packed into the Mission Mountains, hunted bears hard for seven days, got back unpacking his stuff he texted me that he was home so i'm like sweet so i rolled back into the driveway and here's a big old black bear trying to get an empty diesel can in our yard (laughs) you know what i mean and i'm like here he was out in grizz country and black bear country and had zero encounters and yet right in the driveway here's this big old bear that's like getting ornery about an empty diesel can and I think that that right there is a – because you just don't know where you're going to encounter black bears. Yeah. Um, so you need to take precautions. When I'm in areas like Prince of Wales or due to a place that there's a lot of high densities of black bears, California, people that hunt in California, there's a lot of freaking bears there. Oh, yeah. And so in those places where there's a lot of bear, black bears, I do take the precautions. If I don't keep food in my tent, I – take the precaution and you know it never hurts to have some form of protection from any sort of predator if you're bow hunting in california you know it's not a bad idea to have have some kind of oh, something yeah. on you I, I i always i'll never forget just like well i reading what was it it was actually cam haynes book on backcountry bow hunting and he has a story in there about a guy named south cox that got tore up by a bear in california uh, yeah. every time i'm hunting california i think that <laughs> as a black bear you know and 
I've heard other stories of just people that have sent me, oh, I got, look at this. This is from Black Bear. And yeah. My yeah. buddy's cousin got taken out of her tent while river guiding by a Black Bear. So, yeah, when you're in Black Bear country, you really need to just also be aware of your surroundings at all times. But I do not personally think they're as serious of a threat as grizzly bears. Like, you have to be 100% on it in grizzly country. Black yeah. bear country, yeah, I don't know. I've had, however, though, I've had bad encounters with black bears. Well, there's so. roughly, there's roughly, I don't know, it depends on the est- population estimates. There's 10 times the amount of black bears in this country as there are grizzly bears. I, I have encountered more uh, aggressive black bears than Grizz really or brown bears. Yeah, I mean, I've had my, I've had one follow me. Um, no kidding, dude. These, these are. I've got some. Yeah, a lot of encounters with black bears. One of them, I had one tear up my brand new four wheeler. Had one steal some packs from some hunters. Had See, one follow me. I had to put the pistol in one's face and it charged to me. Damn, it charged to like I should have. I thought about shoot. I had a tag too, and I. <sighs> But I just didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> well, speaking of Cam Haynes, I've hunted with Cam before. Where you know, hunting with a with a bow on the ground in Alberta, when there's 15, 18 black bears walking around you, and they're all within ten yards, complete on a bait site. And the way that they describe it up there is that if a grizzly comes into the bait, you stand up and you get your shotgun, or you stand up in, in a defensive position because the grizzly bear is not coming in to lick the honey. He's coming right. in to mess with anything that's in his territory. And that's how they described it. And so I've never – I didn't run into a, a bait that had both grizz and black bears on it, but that's that's how they describe it up there. Uh, Yeah, I mean – but if you're in just black bear country camping, whatever, you should be cautious. You should take precautions. It never hurts to be cautious. So never. do yourself a favor – don't just don't just go into a situation thinking if if it if it freaks you out if you think oh there's black bears in this and I I'm nervous bring some bear spray bring something follow bear safety tips like what's it gonna hurt who cares you'll be more comfortable that way yep especially family camping and stuff too oh yeah you gotta be you gotta be uh, on the ball okay what well, we got wait, next? can I tell a funny family camping bear story <laughs> yeah fuck yeah okay so I'll just divert from the question real quick. So my grandpa always had this story that he had he had he he has white hair. So when we were little kids, like real little, he would tell us this story that a bear peed on his head and that's how his hair turned white. And so in order for him to get his hair back, we needed to pee on a bear's head for him. <laughs> right? So we're like on a family camping trip. I don't even know. Uh, I was probably, I was old enough to know better. I was probably like six years, seven years old, six years old. And then my little brothers are there and we're camping in Northern California, somewhere in the Humboldt area. <laughs> I don't know. Campground style camping on the coast. And this big old black bear walks into camp, just checking people's coolers. Ooh. And me and my brothers get together and we're like, wouldn't it be cool if we peed on this bear's head for grandpa? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like getting into our cooler and we think, okay, we're going to jump up on the picnic table and pee on this bear's head. 
So we jump up on the table, ready to pee on this bear's head. And the bear sees and starts running. And now we're like chasing the bear, pants half down through the campground. These three little kids chasing this bear with their pants half down uh, through a campground. People are looking like, oh, a bear. And then here come these like screaming kids running by trying to pee on this bear's head. That uh, Had it been successful, that would have been a great That would have been encounter. A, an entire podcast. But... Yeah. How many I, people do you think have actually peed on, peed on a bear? Do you think anybody's ever made that happen? Like Lewis and Clark, know. maybe? Probably. Probably peed on a bear at some point. Yeah. But that's uh, my campground bear story. That's a unique story, right? <laughs> it is a unique that's story. That's why we love your podcast. Yeah, you <laughs> These got, unique stories. You got to get, you got to, yeah. We may make that into a whole episode. That should someone should animate that. Like, <laughs> okay, that would be a yeah. great little animation. If you're listening to this, and you're an animator. Please <laughs> let please us know that. what it costs, or just do it for free. <laughs> We'd prefer that. Uh, what else we got here, bud? What else? What else? What else? We did three episodes on elk. So, so as you can imagine, lots and lots, lots of elk questions. Elk questions, and yeah. we're still we're, we're not out of of the elk season yet. Now, so some of these I think can be helpful. Um, Here's one. Let's see. Who's it from? Brian in Minnesota. He said he's traveling out west to Colorado to do some elk hunting this year by himself. And was asking that a lot of your in in episodes four, five, six, where you talked about uh, dogging elk and coaxing in lone bulls and non non vocal sounds. He says that a lot of that you were describing guiding another person or calling for yep. another person. You're on a show called Solo Hunter. He's asking, what do I do if I'm by myself and all these situations occur? I've got to both draw my bow and rake a tree or draw my bow and make, you know, cow sounds and and bugles in different directions. He's just asking for, like, how do you execute those things? Yeah, it is more difficult, but almost all the elk I've taken have been by myself. You know, I one thing I do is I, I like to change the direction that I'm calling to make it appear that I'm further back. Another thing is don't be afraid to move around. Um, a lot of the call – like elk are expecting to see movement. You can get away with a lot of movement, especially when you're in a calling position. You just have to stay vigilant, keep your eye open, make sure that uh, the elk is not going to see you first. But don't be afraid to do what you need to do to get that bull to come to you. Now, when it's really bearing down, I prefer to use diaphragm style call um, because it's hands-free. Oh, Remy's got some elk calls. Not, yeah, see I, those. I always have elk calls. I never, um, you know, but I, I know that some people have trouble even using these calls or don't practice with them or can't use them. So if that is you, practice making the cow, like the basic cow call with your voice. I use that a lot to stop the bull or to, you know, if you got to draw back and in bad timing, use just a, that's no call. That's just my voice going, practice that because that is key just to stop the elk. Sometimes you'll need that. Um, Another good call if you don't have is like the kind that you bite, the biting call. Um, because you can keep oh, yeah. it in the corner of your mouth. Mm-hmm. The name the Primos makes, everyone makes one. There's a lot of those. I've used quite a few of those in the past. Um, but yeah, a lot out of the tactics that I've done, the best two for being by yourself, the dogging elk and the calling to a lone bull 
that's great. They're great setups if you're by yourself. So hopefully those situations arise. Yeah, that's just every type of hunting where you're by yourself and you're calling to It's an more animal. difficult. It's just more yeah. difficult. It's how it is. But it is doable. Yeah, it's tougher to close the distance because yep. you're closer to the animal. You have to draw. You have to be ready. Yeah. It's just tougher, but. Also, think about calling further back and then sneaking up, like mm-hmm. stalking to where it is. Because when they're holed up, when you're by yourself, you make the moves. And so you can get away with a lot more just getting into position than moving, crawling Closing the gap, closing the distance. Ooh, he said it. He said the name of the podcast. I did. But it's cutting the distance. We started oh, out. Is just it? as <laughs> just, just as um, just as this is a little bit of behind the scenes. We started out as closing the distance. That was the show name. I didn't like that. And then Remy was, was like, like no. that's, sounds nope. like I'm in a bar. Yeah, like. <laughs> I try to pick up chicks at a bar. I'm like, okay, that's not well, cool. Then cutting no, I, the distance. I mean, that's not a good name. Yeah, no. cutting the but cutting. Cutting is better. Yeah. Because if you're at a bar, you wouldn't, you would close the distance, not cut it. Right. It's too, that's too brash. It's too brash. What else we got? Oh, um, man, there's a lot. There's a lot. I should make shorter answers and we can. We have time for, I think we have probably have time for two more. Okay. Two more. Um, here's a good one. And this came in a lot. People love the shoes off situation. I think we might have to make a t shirt that says SOS. A she's off situation. She's off situation. This was an episode ago where we talked about, or Remy talked about, hunting mule deer without your shoes on. And a lot of you guys wrote in to ask uh, specifics about it, but one of the things that came in the most was, what's the craziest place you've ever done an SOS? Uh, in the Chugach Mountains of Alaska. Ooh. Stalking some bedded doll sheep. It was closing in. It was steep. It was shaly. All sheep generally don't mind noise, but I was bow hunting and I was so close. And in order to get a shot, I had to get closer. It was a shoes off situation. It was wet ground. It was rocky. That was a, that was a major shoes off situation. And then probably the second craziest shoes off situation, um, bow hunting in Mexico. Ooh. little cactus country. Oh, boy. But I did the sandal. I did what I like, my, my modified shoes off sitch, the sandal with sock over. Oh. Yeah. And that that helped with the old. Not a fashion statement, but effective. Right. Well, you don't see the sandal because That's the sock's true. over the top. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you can wear socks under your sandals if you wear socks over your sandals <laughs> as well. <laughs> Neither of which very fashionable. Yep. Uh, what else we got here? I'm we'll glad people to... like the shoes off sitch, though. I people was... love the shoes off yeah. sitch. And the only reason I started talking about that, that was one of the things that I just get a lot of questions about and think, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Well, you, I mean, every think about every mule deer archery article you've ever read talks about that. And then people are surprised about it. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably something that those of us who do a lot of stalking understand, but maybe those that, that just see this, that, that are either casual hunters that just don't do a lot of Western spot and stalking, yeah. spend Especially, a lot of time in a tree, you know? You're stalking. The the thing I see all the time, the big mistake, is guys wearing mountaineering style boots and like, I'm going to sneak up on this mule deer in oh, dry yeah. country in my uh, full shank boots. Well, Good the, luck, son. <laughs> I would say the first time that we ever went to Lanai to stalk access here, I probably... I probably bought brought a pair of like crispy mountain boots that were yeah. I probably did. And you notice that that first time I just hunted like damn near barefoot the entire time yeah. and I did pretty darn good. Yes. And it was just like 
yeah, I was just walking my, I was like, it's flat. It's not bad. This is one spot. Might as well just hunt my stocking socks all the whole, day. The whole it was time, great. yeah. yeah. That we, we ended up by the second or third trip we went over there, you and me and everyone else didn't even bring, would put boots in your pack and just yeah. have them in case you had to walk on the road or something, but you yeah. just didn't even wear them, didn't even need them. So it depends on where you are, but, and the funny thing is a lot of you guys that rode in, you know, Remy does a lot of hunting out west, and that's what this podcast really about. And it's cool that a lot of you guys rode in. You're from all over the country, and you're coming west to hunt. You know, yeah, public land. Cool. There's so much, you know, there's such a divide regionally, but it just seems like there's a lot of people that are traveling from a long ways from their home place to go do these things, so it's important that you get it right. So I'm glad that those things are coming together. Now, probably the biggest question that I have, this is um, – Episode four, it was called The Story of Stubby McNubbin. McNubbins. I can't even say <laughs> oh, it right. Stubby McNubbins. Stubby McNubbins. And um, a couple of people asked it in, is Stubby McNubbins still roaming the hills of Montana? Ooh. So, yes and no. Oh. The OG Stubby McNubbins, I think he's gone. However, his genes moved on. There's, I mean, it's one of the, it's like Bigfoot sightings in this area because there's multiple places where we're like, we saw Stubby. I think it's just Stubby's offspring. Dude, he was a, he was the boss hog. He had his harem and he ruled the roost. And he made so it's, it. His genes definitely got passed on. The memory and the legacy of Stubby McNubbins shall endure. God bless you, Stubby. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you. Do you have any like what's in the future? You know, we're we've we've we want to do this. We're going to do this. Um, you know, as as frequently as we can. Maybe be out in the field a lot this fall, and as will I, and doing other things. But we're going to try to make sure we do this at least once every couple of months, where we gather all your questions and we answer them on the show. So look out for that. But there's a lot of other things coming up as far as topics. So hopefully, stick around. What's 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 burning for you there, Remy? Oh. I think there's some good stuff as far as we're, we're coming into, I like to make it topical mm-hmm. and seasonal. Yes. So, and let's talk about a little spotting stuff, some rifle season elk hunting tactics, deer hunting tactics, then just some, you know, some all around just good hunting skills. Yeah, man. We've been, we've been hammering pretty hard on glassing tips. Yep. which we haven't covered yet on the show. So I think, I think that's coming up, right? Yeah, glassing. I mean, that's the number one tactic for Western hunting. And I, that's a question I've been getting a lot. Dude, I just, uh, someone just wrote, actually, right before we started recording this, saw, okay, I've got good optics, but I'm having, tr- I'm only seeing stuff that's moving around. What the hell am I doing wrong? What should I be looking for? Yeah. And then I'll talk about that, but, and I want to get into some advanced stuff too for the guys that, you know, yeah. I want you, you know what? I want you to be the best spotter that yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, I have it written down as an episode yeah. title, Spot Bucks Before Your Friends. That's a good one. Make it competitive. Yep. So we will keep working on this, but thank you for writing in from from my desk and the whole Mediator crew and especially Remy, who's the man. Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. I uh, And then maybe some, you know what? Shoot me some comments on good endings. How should I end the podcast? That's the hardest part. (laughs) Like, what's a a good sign-off? Like, stay frosty, stay stealthy. Yeah, you got it. Eat your broccoli. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to use that. Don't die. Wasn't one of them like, don't Don't get eaten? Don't die. Don't get eaten. I don't know. The the sign-off. I kind of like the variety. I want one that's like, 
kind of me where it's subtle yet cool. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how you see yourself? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Subtle. Like, yeah, if I'm in a group of people, like, I'm just... Like, when you're leaving the bar and everybody else is staying, like, you're leaving early to go home, get some rest, you say, like, all right, guys, stay frosty. No, see, I just, if if I'm around a group of people, I do the Irish goodbye. Yeah, Irish goodbye. I just (laughs) leave. (laughs) Nobody, if you say I'm leaving, then everyone's like, why are you leaving? You just, like, slip out. That's that's on our new podcast called Closing the Distance. (laughs) That's on the new podcast called... Bar Tips. Yes. Being at the bar. How to... I don't know. Yeah, a lot of hunting tips. Not so good for social situations. <laughs> All right, Remy, close it out. Give us your, your ender. Um, yeah. Thanks for the comments. I wish we could get to all of them. I try my damnedest to answer as many questions as I can. The shorter the answer, the more likely I am to respond to it via message before my thumbs wear out. However, some of the longer form ones, I like to – this is great talk it out here and until next week um, eat your protein eat that cook your elk medium rare keep it medium rare goodbye Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details.